We are starting a new series today, and we have installed some new mics, so bear with us, and uh, we are uh, working through starting to install some of our sound, uh, and so it will be, it'll take, it'll be a process, but uh, hopefully over the next few weeks, we're going to do everything to make it better, amen? Amen. So I got to, I want to begin today by asking you a simple question. Are you ready for this question? Here's the simple question. Why are we on planet earth? You say, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a deep question. And that, that may be a little more than just a simple answer. But the question is, why are we here? Why are we on planet earth? Do you know that Jesus gave us two foundational mandates to this question? And they are both found in the book of Matthew. So if you take a moment and go to the book of Matthew, the first one's found in chapter 2, and the second one is found in chapter 28. Now, I'm going to read both of them to you, and then I will explain what the mandates are. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 22, and I am reading from the NIV, beginning at verse 36. Matthew 22, verse 36, it says, Teacher... Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, go to the last chapter of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and I want to read starting at verse 18. Again, this is from the NIV. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority. He didn't just say, you know, God's given me just a little bit of authority. He said, All authority. In other words, I get to call all the shots. I get to tell you everything. I have full authority from God the Father to speak to you today. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you see, the first mandate is known as the great commandment. We are to love. And this is who we become and who we are. The second mandate is known as the great commission. That is what we do because we love. The first is love. Who we become and who we are. The second is do what we do because we love. So you have two reasons to be on this earth and then nothing else matters. Sure, while you're here you can accumulate other accomplishments. uh, But everything boils down to two things. You were created to love God and love others. And the second one is you were created to do what God has told you to do, go and make disciples. That's why we're here. It's because God loved us and saved us. God loves people. 
People matter to God, and if people matter to God, then what? They should matter to us, amen? And that is the whole mandate of why we are here. We are here to love God and people, and we are here to go and tell what the gospel message is about because God loves us. That is our whole goal. That's our whole purpose. That's why we are here. Now, I want to give you something to think about today. Each year, about 17 million people die and go into eternity without hearing about a heavenly Father who loves them. So let's break it down to even shorter numbers. Maybe we can understand this even more. 46,575 people per day. 1,940 per hour. 32 people per minute and about one every two seconds. That should set alarms off, shouldn't it? That should set alarms off to tell us that we have a job to do. And it's time that we stop thinking and acting like everybody has heard the gospel message that God loves you and sent his son Jesus to die for you because not everyone has heard the message, amen? And this just set off alarms in our heads. This is the worst human crisis on earth, and many of these people have never even met a Christian, and yet the very last words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 promise the exact opposite. He said, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will what? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we cannot think of missions lightly anymore, amen? People are dying without ever hearing the gospel message, and that should be something that alarms us. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If you look at that word that's translated there, uh, send out, if you look at it in the Greek, it actually means to eject, cast out, drive out, or expel. That means that we are to intercede on behalf of the nations. Believers need to get out of our comfort zones and into service and ministry to others. Jesus gave us a parable that we need to apply to our life, and that parable is found in Mark chapter 4. I want to read a little bit of it to you. Mark chapter 4, verse 3. He says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. And still other seed did what? It fell on good ground, good soil. It came up, it grew, it produced a crop. Some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And the lesson of this, print, this parable, and I want you to hear this, it's easy to interpret. The yield depends on the quality of the soul, right? Don't we understand all that? And that's what we've always heard, right? Yet if you notice, the good soul was pretty much 
all the same. Jesus made not a distinction in its quality or its preparation, yet even in the good soul, the harvest varied. What did Jesus say? He said, still other seed fell on good soul where it produced a crop. So the soul is good here. It's all good here, but I want you to hear this. He says a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Think about that. There was nothing different about that crop. It was a crop. It was, it was gone through. They had tilled it. They had done all the work. But yet, still some only produced 30, some produced 60, and some produced 100. What made the difference? Why is it that one person got 30 and another person got 100-fold? Why did some seeds produce more and some produce less? And this question is what the focus of this series that we're going to be talking about called Power Shifts, we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. God makes this world's spiritual harvest fields ripen at the correct time. Did you hear what I said? God knows when it's time to harvest. He has everything at a perfect timing, at a perfect plan, and we have to be the instruments to do what he's called us to do. Amen? It's what God wants us to do. God makes this world's spiritual harvest fields ripen at the correct time. And he wants us to participate in the process, clearing obstacles, sowing seeds, bringing in the crops. And in that process, we can either hasten or slow the rate at which we are accomplishing the task our Lord gave us. The task of taking the gospel of his kingdom to every people group in the world. Think about this for a moment. You know, in the biblical days, people farmed by sheer muscle and willpower. I mean, they'd be in there plowing. They'd plant these seeds. They would do all the work. They would labor hard. I mean, they would go at it, and it was all done by hand. You ever worked in on a farm, anybody? Anybody had grandparents or parents that had a farm? I, my grandfather was a farmer, and that was his hobby. <laughs> I'm like, why would anybody want to do that as a hobby? Because it was hard work, you know. But I remember, I remember in the summer, you know, he'd call my dad and my uncle up and say, hey, it's time to go out and bell hay. Guess what job I got? I got to pick up the bells and throw it on the back of the truck. That's the worst job ever. Luckily, they didn't do it so much as I got older, so I was able to finagle out of it. And when I was little, it was really great because I got to ride the tractor because I was too small to do anything else. But it was a lot of hard work out there, and you did a lot of it by hands. Well, guess what? As, as, it got, as the, the uh, technology has improved, as things have improved, what do we have now? We have machines that work harder. They work faster. We have special types of seeds that we can plant that produce a better crop, a, 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 a greater crop. We have all these new things that have come along to make a uh, better crop around the world. And, and so people can do this. You know, there are still people that still uh, farm by hand uh, all throughout the system, even though we have these new systems that they can use. So I want you to think about this. We have to be willing to follow this example. We need to quit patting ourselves on the back for our 30-fold harvest, right? 
and we need to start looking to a harvest of a hundredfold yield, right? We must rethink some of our basic ideals about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And just as farmers have increased their yield by accepting and using new technology, so we too need to be willing to advance to new methodologies. Can I tell you, the message has never changed, amen? The message is still the same today. It's never changed. The gospel is still the same. It is as good today as it was yesterday, as it was, as it was 20 years ago, as it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago. The message has never same, uh, changed. But our methodologies need to change so that we can produce a greater harvest than we ever thought or could imagine. Amen? And that's something that we need to do. We need to be the people that God has called us to be to go and do the work that he's called us to do. But we have to make some strategic power shifts. If we want to experience an exponential release of God's power, we need to get a handle on his design. God reminds us of something, and I want you to listen carefully. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. Some of you have heard this. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways, my ways, declare the Lord. You see, we've got to tune in to his thoughts. We've got to tune in to his ways if we are to accomplish anything that really matters for eternity. Amen? The one thing that matters to God is people. And if people matter to God, they've got to matter to us. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? If people matter to God, they've got to matter to us. And as the church, we have to understand that people matter to God. And so therefore, we have to do what we can to reach people. If the church is ever going to bring completion to the Great Commission. You ever thought about that? We've been working on the Great Commission for what? 2,000 years now? At what point is it going to come to completion? I think that's, you know, that's probably what God's waiting on. It's for us to stop sitting around just thinking about the Great Commission and start fulfilling the Great Commission. But we have to enlarge our vision to accept God's thoughts on missions. Now remember, God's thoughts, they're not our thoughts, are they? His ways, they're not our ways. So how do we produce God's thoughts and ways into our life and the life of our church? I've got four things I want to give you this morning. The first one is prophetic vision. we got to see what God sees. Amen? We have to see what God sees. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the verse in Proverbs chapter 29. We've probably heard it quoted many times But Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says this, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Now what this verse literally means is this. Without a continuous, redemptive revelation of God's will, the people of God are allowed to go without direction and are wasting away. That kind of summed it up. The bottom line is, without a clear ongoing understanding of God's redemptive nature, a vision of God, what he is doing in our world, and our covenant relationship with him, we lack direction. Without that continuous vision that helps us connect with what he sees and what he feels, 
we will waste away. If we don't see what he sees and see what and, and, and feel what he feels, we are going to waste away. If we are to avoid being lost in that kind of wasteland, then we have to study God's word. We have to listen to the Holy Spirit. And this is how we maintain a clear vision of his redemptive nature and a clear understanding of his priorities for ministry. We have to listen to God. We have to get that prophetic vision and we have to see what God sees. We have to understand what God understands. And we say, okay, God, here we are. What can we do to go forth and to do what you've called us to do? Because that's why we're here. We're here to fulfill God's plan and his purpose. And God cares about people. And if God cares about people, then what? We should care about people, amen? And so how do, we, how do we care about people? How do we reach people? By getting a prophetic vision and seeing what God sees. The second one is biblical wisdom from the Word and the Spirit. So everyone needs to know that the Holy Spirit is the one that bursts every strategic power shift. We produce them only as we engage ourselves with God and we move in partnership with him, accepting his strategic direction. Have you ever tried to do something that was out of God's will? You know what I'm talking about, right? You're miserable, aren't you? And everything just falls flat. Everything just falls apart. Nothing goes right. I mean, can God move? Yes, God can move. God can do some amazing things. Because he's God, and he's going to move in spite of us. But if you've ever been outside of God's vision, you're going to be completely miserable. That's why we have to let God walk alongside of us. Let the Holy Spirit guide us and direct us and lead us to where we need to go and who we need to be and what we need to do. Amen? We've got to have that guidance. We've got to accept his strategic direction. So when you study God's word to gain God's wisdom, we become what Scripture calls an expert builder or a master builder. 1 Corinthians 3.10, and I'm going to read from the NLT. It says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. Okay, so the term expert builder in the original Greek, and I'm going to butcher this, I always do, sophos architecton. That's a funny word, isn't it? So this is where we get our word for architect. Can you see that? Kind of makes sense, right? An expert builder is one who is competent in his profession and applies wisdom and skill to his task. In the spiritual realm, we replace human wisdom and skill with scripture and with God's guidance. The expert builder is like the apostle Paul. He was a believer who saw that the father or who saw what the father was doing by the word and by the spirit and he governed his life and made decisions based on the knowledge and wisdom he gained from that relationship. This is a spiritual skill. Listening to God. Understanding what he has for us. Understanding what he's telling us to do. And then as he tells us to do it, we what? Do it, right? It makes perfect sense. You ever, you know, when you tell your kids to do something, what do you expect? 
Do you expect them to ignore you and just walk away and say, yeah, whatever? No, we expect them to do it, don't we? Why? Because we know that what we're telling them to do is, is what, what we need them to do. Hey, I need you not to touch the hot stove. The kid doesn't need to ask why, because if they touch the hot stove, they're going to get burned and they're going to get hurt, right? And so we tell them, don't touch the hot stove. But the kids sometimes will say, but why? Because if you touch the hot stove, you're going to get burned, it's going to hurt, and I'm going to have to take you to the hospital. I mean, we don't want to go into a big, long lecture when the stove is hot and we're trying to tell them, don't touch it. Why? Because you're going to get hurt, The whole thing is God is telling us something. He's revealing us something on how to fulfill his word. And we have to listen and then we have to do it. God tells his children what to do. We listen and we fulfill what he's telling us to do. The third thing, comprehensive understanding and insight. Biblical vision and wisdom enable us to see the big picture of God's will. Thus giving birth to comprehensive understanding and insight. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. If you look at that word understanding, it's translated in the Greek word as synesis. S-U-N-E-S-I-S, which means putting pieces together like a puzzle. And this is the critical factor that enables an individual to intelligently assess a situation. Anybody ever put together a puzzle? Don't you love it when somebody gives you a 5,000-piece puzzle for a gift? You're like, what am I going to do with this? Let me tell you what I do. I, I hate puzzles. Actually, I love puzzles, but I hate puzzles, and I'll tell you why. When I get a puzzle... I can't stop until it's done. It drives me absolutely nuts. So my wife and kids, it don't bother them. They'll start a puzzle. They'll put two or three pieces together, and then they'll get up and walk away and leave it. And I'm like, no, I've got to go put that puzzle together. You know, I want to see what it looks like. You say, but there's the box. You can see that's not the same, you know. I've got to put this puzzle together. They put a puzzle together one time, and they had started and so I came over there and started helping them then they got up and walked away and I'm like wait a second this was supposed to be a group effort you know and so I literally sat down and worked on that puzzle until it was done and I think I finished sometime that evening late and I'm like I just I can't stop I see it I got to put together a puzzle but we all have puzzles we all have things in life that we have to learn how to put it together and that is part of uh even uh, this uh, understanding, the synesis of, of what we are doing, we need to have an understanding. We need to seek that kind of synesis and apply God's contemporary wisdom with an understanding for the big picture. It's kind of like you've ever heard, you can't see the forest for the trees. Well, we need to see the forest, not just the trees. Amen. We've got to see the big picture. We need to move beyond our own little corner of the harvest field, and we need to gain an understanding of God's plan for the entire farm or the entire world, if you will. Amen? We need to see the big picture, but we must watch trends 
on a worldwide basis, and we must seek God's wisdom for how we can exploit them, exploit them for his glory. We must understand that he is orchestrating the world scene to accomplish his goals because he is heading toward the completion of the Great Commission. And we have to see the big picture, amen? We need to look not just at our little patch here in Fort Smith, Arkansas, but we need to look at the United States. We need to look at the world and beyond and see what God is doing and what God has called us to do. And we need to rise up as believers and say, here am I, Lord. Send me to whatever you want me to do. Help me to send resources. Help me to go. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I need to go and be your voice. I need to go and do your work. Number four, increased productivity from spiritual resources. So as we begin to put these strategic power shifts into practice in our church over the next few months... They should produce an exponential multiplication of the numbers of people finding Christ. Power shifts, they allow us to discover new ways to use our spiritual resources and to move from the 30-fold harvest to the 100-fold harvest. Missing a power shift can actually drop us to a lower level of inertia or even to regression. Now, I want to ask you a question. Think about a, space, a spaceship or a, a rocket, uh, the space shuttle. Do you know that it will burn more fuel at liftoff than it will in traveling one million miles through space? And here's the reason why. It's because as it accelerates away from the launch pad, it must overcome inertia and gravity. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We said earlier that the literal translation of Proverbs 29.18 implies that we must have a continuous redemptive vision of God. And that vision must be the source of our spiritual momentum. It enables us to avoid regressing or wasting away. So think about that. It may take us a lot more effort and a lot more work to fulfill the vision that God gives us in the beginning. But once we gain momentum, we will continue to move and to accomplish what God has called us to do. So it takes us working together, every one of us, fulfilling the vision that God has placed upon this church. Amen? All of us have to do our part. I don't care how young or how old you are. Each one of us has a part that we have to play. And we have to do that in order for it to be successful. So I want to close this morning with this. Now most of you have probably heard the phrase, for such a time as this. And this comes from the book of Esther. When Mordecai, he convinced her to act as mediator on behalf of the Jewish people who were facing annihilation at the hands of Haman. And uh, you can look at the story in the book of Esther. But the part I want to look at is in Esther chapter 4. And I want to read to you verse 13 and 14. It says, he sent back this answer. This is Mordecai speaking. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. 
but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So my question is, what about us? This was for Esther. This was what he told Esther. But what about us? What about you and me? What about all of us here? Are we not, as 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 puts it, chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession for such a time as this? Is that not who we are? Is that not who God has called us to be? Are we not chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Are we not, is that not who God has called us? In other words, just like the Jewish population faced extermination in that day, so in our day, millions of individuals all over the world are spiritually perishing. And I want to ask you this question. How many of us have the same feelings that Mordecai cautioned Esther against? Perhaps we wrongly feel safe because we live in the comparative physical and spiritual wealth of the Western world. In a similar situation, Mordecai reminded Queen Esther that security does not automatically come because of where we live. Security, however, is found in obedience to the revealed word of God. We have to obey God's word. If we refuse to obey, God will raise up another who will do as he requires. All tribes and nations will be represented in heaven for God has promised it. In Matthew 24, 14, he said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We do not want to miss an opportunity to do our part. Amen? We do not want to miss an opportunity to do our part, to reach not just those in our community that have not heard the gospel message, but we also want to do our part to reach those in the United States and around the world. God is raising up individuals to go into all the world, and God is raising up individuals with the resources to help those to go into all the world. And I want this church to do their part, and I want to do my part as well. Amen? So, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at five strategic power shifts that I believe will help provide the fuel to launch you and our church into a fresh power shift of harvest. Can I tell you that there is a harvest out there waiting to be harvested, and we have to do our part, amen? We have to do what God has called us to do. We have to go and reach the nations. And this is a great opportunity, a great chance for us to do. I believe that with all the chaos that's happening in the world, I think now is a greater time than ever to fulfill the harvest that God has asked us to do. Amen? Amen. So my question is, are you ready to reap the harvest that God has called us to reap? Are you ready to reap the harvest? Can we stand? I want us to do something this morning. I want us to pray for these unreached people groups. I want us also to pray for the people here in our own community that have never heard the gospel.
Believe it or not, some people would think, I can't believe there's people here in Fort Smith that have never heard the gospel. Can I tell you that we are no longer in a Christian nation? The United States is no longer a Christian nation. We are now a post-Christian nation. What, what, that means that at one time, people knew the gospel. They don't know it anymore. That means that we, the church, has failed. And it's time that we change that trend and become who God wants us to be. There's a harvest that is plentiful, and we need laborers to go into the harvest. Amen. Can we pray for those? Can we sing that song? Can you sing that song as we pray, uh, Let Your Glory Fall? And can we just make that our prayer? Lord, help us to reach the nations. Help us to reach the nations. Help us to reach those that are needing your touch. Let's pray. God, we just come to you right now as a church, as a body of believers. I pray that you help us to reach the harvest, the harvest that you've given us. God, that as we are here, as we are hearing your cries, as we are hearing your voice in the wilderness crying out to us, God, that we can go out and to do the work, that those that are hurting, those that do not know you, that have not seen you, Lord God, but they need to, to hear your word, they need to see, know your love, to know your hope that you have for them, God. God, I pray that you would touch their lives, that you would help them to go forth. Help us to go forth, God, to reach the nations, God. Help us to go forth, to, to send those out, to send those workers out that, to places that we may not be able to go, to reach those that do not know you, God. That our, that our goal is to be a missions-minded church, that we start seeing the harvest reach, God, and that we do our part, whatever it may be, it may be just to provide resources, God. It may be to send people that are raised up in this church to go out and to be missionaries, God. It, it may be just to go into our neighborhoods and into our communities, God, and begin to tell people about your love and your forgiveness and your grace and help us to be that. Help us to do our part, God. Raise up generations, Lord God. Raise up a generation, Lord, that is saying, I want to do my part. I want to do my work. I want to do what God's asking me to do. I give you the praise and I give you the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's sing this. Hallelujah. So let your glory fall in this room. Let it go forth from here. The nation, let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to see your face. So let your glory fall in this room, let it go forth from here. Let your fragrance rest in this place As we gather to seek your
Let it go forth from here to the nations. Let your fragrance rest in this place as we gather to seek your face. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord is good, amen? Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to, uh, we're going to take a moment, and uh, our, uh, we've got a guest with us this morning, and we are going to have them come, and you know, part of uh, doing God's